Happy Halloween, John. Happy Halloween, Adam. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Deconstructionist listeners. We have a special... This is special. This what is, is very special. This is a first for us. What are we doing here? We, uh, so you had this great idea that we, like when we decided we were going to do this episode, you're like, we should do this like at a pub or a bar somewhere. And so we literally, uh, this is plan B. The first bar we went to, they had uh, trivia night. So that wasn't going to work. <laughs> um, so we came to the second place and we are literally set up at a booth in the middle of a restaurant uh, with people probably staring at us wondering what we're doing. This is fantastic. Yeah. And to kick it back to you, like you had a great idea in the midst of the chaos of our lives right now, you were like, Adam, my favorite holiday is coming. <laughs> That's true. My favorite holiday is coming and the father of this holiday is the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and you were like, we should do an episode about the devil. I've done all this research. I've got some guests I want to line up. And like, yeah. life, life happens. Yes. And life happened to us. And believe it or not, every once in a while, we reach out to a guest and they um, ignore our emails. So, <laughs> and that's, that's okay. That's all right. In all fairness, this guest was very old. Yes. But would have been amazing but I had all this research done, and I, I, I remember I, I called you, and I thought, Adam, like, we should still do this episode. We haven't done an episode between the two of us in a while. I have all this great research. It's really interesting stuff that I think would be interesting to other people. We should just record this. And so here we are. John did so much research. So many pages of notes. And there's nothing I like more than when John has, a, like, a bee in his bonnet. <laughs> he's got a little, he's got some juice that he's brewing. And we need to get it out. So this is a special Halloween episode where John yeah. and I go to a bar. You are sitting in a bar with us. And John has got some incredible research. <laughs> and we are going to talk about the devil. That's right. While Adam and I drink beer and eat chicken wings. Yeah. So we are eating the devil's food, drinking the devil's juice, talking about the devil. These and wings are a little hot. So there's I'm a little fire there. There's I'm a little fire. <laughs> so yeah, so we've... So we've we thought it would be interesting. We, we've kind of in the past, the last, this is, believe it or not, year three. This is our third Halloween season. You get out of here. Yeah, so we, we have to bring back the thing we did the first year, which is talk about our, our favorite Halloween movies recently before we get into it. Crazy. So I, I just finished watching on Netflix. I watched uh, that, the, the uh, House on Haunted Hill. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm into it. It's, Unbelievable. It's so good. Unbelievable. And I'm going to blow your mind off air because I don't want to, it, cause it's still, it's still new and there's a, it, it would be a spoiler alert and I don't want to do that. People haven't seen it yet. It is a work of art. It is a drama, uh, disguised as a horror movie. It's incredible. But anyway, it reminds me of bloodlines meets that, yes. that, uh, really dramatic show on like ABC or NBC right now. This is us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Meets like Stephen King. Yes. And it's so good. Speaking of, Stephen King tweeted out the other day that he's like, I'm not usually a fan when, when uh, people remake uh, like a book or a, or a, a movie that had, done, uh, had been done previously and take like artistic liberty with it. He goes, but in this case, it's absolutely a work of genius. It's phenomenal. So You like loved it. Um, Haunted Hill, what's your, what, what are your favorite, what are your Halloween movies though? Uh, of all time, I would say The Exorcist is still my favorite. Same. Because there's that, that element of realism there that, if, if true, is the most terrifying 
thing that I can think of. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the original uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The, the Matthew McConaughey one from the 70s? Oh, no, no, no. Oh. That, he, was, he was in, like, the crappy sequel. With yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He had the oh, robotic leg. Oh, oh, yeah, that was, you're right. That was a sequel. <laughs> Which is fantastic for other reasons. But, uh, no, the original, original one from the 70s um, with, like, the hippie kids in the van. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, right. That's right. That one's super good. Uh, as far as, like, more recent ones, I don't know. Like, I, I haven't been a big fan of, like, a lot of the recent ones. Have you seen The Babadook? Oh, yes, holy, with that exception. Holy crap. That one's really good. Woo! But you know what I've been doing? I, uh, so the wife and I have an annual tradition where uh, the month leading up to Halloween, every night we watch a new Halloween movie, and we try to mix up like old ones we've never seen. So I've watched uh, The Reanimator. Um, oh, like, there you fantastic. go. Um, but we went through a bunch of these like lesser-known Hitchcock movies, and I've really been enjoying them. A lot of like uh, Jimmy Stewart. And oh, man. So, like, Rear Window, which is not as obscure, uh, but uh, Rope, uh, The Man who, who Knew Too Much. There you um, go. Some really good stuff there. So, anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of The Exorcist, The Babadook. My kind of sleeper, like, horror movie hit is Event Horizon. Oh, that's a good one. I don't know. It's just, it just creeps the heck out of me, man. It's, oh, that's a good one. It's so creepy. There's something about, like, the, uh, the cold emptiness of space oh that is just terrifying kind of like like super deep water uh like i have this reoccurring nightmare that like i fall over the side of a ship in the arctic seriously yeah where like it's just dark and gray and there's just this like huge waves and deep just dark dark water Ooh, and like that to me is is terrifying the shining oh that's a good one is a must Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you, man. It's it's definitely a fun time of year to just kind of, you know, just get into the spirit, get yeah. into it with the kids, have a good time. You have you have always have a rip roaring annual Halloween party. I do. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> John Williamson, he really knows how to turn the festivities on. <laughs> You do. I, I feel like, like a smoke machine, uh, and yes. you were playing the movie The Burbs, which we didn't mention already, because oh. it doesn't count as like a horror movie, but Halloween movie. One of my faves. The Burbs is number one. The Burbs is it's number one. It's just fun. It's just fun. Uh, we could start quoting The Burbs right now, but we might start to lose our listeners. <laughs> yeah. So If you haven't seen it, it's probably Tom Hanks' finest, finest movie. But uh, this is The Devil's Holiday. Yes. It is uh, something that I was not allowed to participate in as a, as a child. Were you allowed to trick-or-treat? You were yeah. ELCA. Yeah, yeah. Um, my parents didn't really care. So, like, they, it, 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 which is weird because my parents, uh, my mom probably more so than my dad, uh, would occasionally watch, like, a horror movie or whatever. Um, but my parents weren't really that into it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, they didn't really, like, I had a very... I don't know. They, they, they exposed me just enough to the world to the point where it wasn't like absolute just culture shock. Yeah. Like when, me. <laughs> when reality. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like I, you know, so like I remember I heard I got to listen to music that had like occasional profanity in it, <gasps> you know, like like punk rock, you know, and, and, and my mom bought me that album. But like it was under the understanding that like you don't repeat those words, but like I get it within the art Absolutely. So, yeah. So Halloween was something that, um, you know, as as like Pete Rollins would say, like the the prohibition creates the desire, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. I I mean, it's probably why I love horror movies. Yeah. I think it's a huge part of why I 
love to go trick-or-treating with my kids. Yeah. I try to watch all the Halloween specials. Yes. Uh, we've been watching all of them. You know, you got to, like, live... Or you got to, like, find a bootleg website to, like, stream the Garfield Halloween special. Dude, I own it's a amazing. copy. It's amazing. It's amazing. My favorite. It's amazing. It's, my coworkers it's, didn't it's, know what that was. It's almost too scary for kids. It's true. It's, where, they know where you live. Oh my gosh, dude! <laughs> the old man. When they take the rowboat like across the like the yeah. lake to this old house, <laughs> and it's the old man, and they're like running around. The ch- it's uh, very very scary, but I love it. And Binky the clown. Yeah, Binky the clown. So <laughs> the prohibition creates the desire, and I think um, there's a whole lot of stuff we can start talking about here, but we promised our listeners some good juice. Yes, we did on the devil. So I'm going to, I'm going to tee you up cause you, you've got all the research. <laughs> so if you're deconstructing Christian or if you're skeptical, or if, uh, you were raised fundy and, uh, like me, you were not allowed to participate in Halloween. You were not allowed to do certain things. Uh, you were like in a house in some ways, like in the water boy, Bobby Boucher's mom, everything's <laughs> yeah. getting blamed on the devil. Right. And um, it, it makes it really hard to engage without smirking or without, there's just, we need more background. Um, like the episode we did a while back with uh, Richard Beck, Reviving yeah. Old Scratch. Yeah. So let's start to talk about the devil. Where do you want to start? I think the best place to start is, is at the beginning, right? So, like, one of the big things, and, and I, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, like, uh, I think uh, some other good episodes to go back and listen to if you haven't heard them already. Um, our first, first season uh, in 2016, we did an episode on the devil with, with Richard Beck, Dr. Richard Beck. And we did a couple episodes on hell, alternate theories on hell. So um, I think it'd be cool to go a little bit deeper into um, the historical aspects of like, where did the concept of the devil come from? Yeah. Um, you know, where does the, the, the term come from? Uh, because those of us who grew up in the church, like you either, you know, you either blame the devil for everything, right? Like, so the evil one, Satan, like it's his fault. He's attacking me. Yeah. Or you were just like, thought it was nonsense, right? Yeah. And so like uh, any of us who have, who have read specifically the Old Testament, um, know that there's a very different uh, type of uh, figure that shows up in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And so, like, starting to look into that, um, and I'll, I'll put some resources up on, in the show notes because I think there's some really interesting books out there. I wanted to know more about, like, why is, like, I want to know more about the evolution of this figure, uh, Satan or the devil or Beelzebub or Old Scratch or yeah, yeah, Lucifer yeah. or whatever. yeah. Where did all these names come from? Um, why is the character so different between the two Testaments, you know, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, as we call it, and the New Testament? So, yeah. Um, so, so, quick question. Let me, ask, let me ask you this for, for myself, too, because honestly, I'm, I'm sitting here and it's, I haven't been reading the Bible much in the past couple of years. You know, it's kind of, kind of letting that one just sit a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Refreshing, kind of hit, okay. hitting the reset button. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, um, I'm trying to remember outside of Job. Yes. And outside of like, there's a couple little like obscure passages like in, a, in Isaiah yes. and Genesis. Yep. What else? I mean, it doesn't, it's not a big player. It's not a big character as far as I can remember. In no, the Old that's Testament. true. Okay. That's true. Um, and, and, and you're exactly right. So the instances where uh, like Satan in, 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 the Hebrew language. So like, so there's, there's a couple things. There's, there's history at play here. Um, there's, there's 
um, the, this evolving uh, religion, because at the time, of course, like we're talking about Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's a few things at play here, and so like the first thing is like uh, in the Hebrew Bible, you know, we see this these references to Satan or the Satan or the Satan. The, the Satan is my theology professor. Yes, the Satan. We always made fun of him behind his back. And so you're so you're like, wait, the Satan, the Satan, or the Satan, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. Yeah. So like, wait, wait, wait. You know, so we're we're used to hearing you know capital S A T A N. You know, this this a noun, this proper noun. This is it the individual. accuser? Yeah, or or um, uh, the other the other translations in Hebrew are um, just uh, to obstruct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah. or essentially to block. And so okay. you're like, yep. okay, yep, yep. And so the instances that we we see in the Old Testament, Ooh, we're already we're already getting somewhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, talk more about that. So like, so the instances we see the the Satan, you know, um, appear in the Old Testament. Specifically, like we can look at Balaam and his donkey, or his ass, depending on which translation. Balaam's ass. Yeah. So so that's a great example uh, where the Satan, it was just a is is an angel or an agent of God who's doing God's bidding, who just blocks his path. It's not Satan, you know, as in a specific person who's doing, uh, you know, uh, evil, you know, and and rebelling against God in this story. It's literally God's servant, an angel doing, uh, blocking the pathway. And so, again, it it goes back to that definition, you know, uh, someone who obstructs or someone who who blocks. Let me ask you an important question at this point. Yes. While I eat this blue cheese celery. celery. (laughs) In this account... And in most of the other accounts, which is why I want to bring this up now, it is assumed, and I think we are reading back into the texts, our primary concern as modern or postmodern scientific, rational, post-enlightened people. And that question is, well, is this a personal, is this a a human-ish or a uh, person-type thing? Is this a personal reality or is it some kind of a name for a force? Is it uh, a name for a reality that has uh, volition and, and will of some kind? Yeah. What yeah. are we, what are we actually, I think that's one of people's biggest problems with, I don't, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that d- deny the presence of some kind of evil, that it's, it, sure. it's a force, just like darkness is a force, uh, or, or whatever. I think where it gets tricky is when that thing becomes personalized. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that right now? As we're talking like Old yeah. Testament, this thing that stopped Balaam's donkey, and you know, before it was a snake, and yeah. it was, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, that, that's a great question. And actually, I'm glad you brought up the snake because we'll, we'll get into the story of Adam and Eve and, and stuff like that later. Um, I, my sense, at least, uh, from, from the different scholars and the kind of consensus uh, that, that I was reading through um, yeah. in the various resources, um, is that in these instances, like the book of Job, for example, is another great example where you have, you know, Job, uh, you know, you have this, this uh, Satan again, who's almost acts more as a, like a, a prosecuting attorney. Right. And uh, not, not with evil intent. Uh, and, and you would expect the story to go, you know, like Job starts to, to suffer because he's this pious, uh, right, right, right. Uh, you know, individual. So you'd expect the story to be, be like, have the Satan be like, yeah, like, 
let down your guard, God, and I'll inflict damage on this guy. I mean, what but a But that's book. not what happens. What a book. Yeah, the, the, the Satan or the Satan or Satan is not the one who inflicts harm on, on Job in the story, right? Like, so it, it, he's just kind of this, this person who's like, uh, almost like, um, you know, like a judge or a, a prosecuting attorney. It's almost like this kind of legal uh, sense of the word. He's messing with me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so it's interesting. And, and there's a lot to be said also for uh, the mythology, um, you know, uh, when it comes to other local religions and other uh, cultures, like Greek culture and stuff like that. You yeah. Know, that you see um, uh, other deities within those cultures, like gods of mischief, like Loki and, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and, and things like that. So, um, you know, to, to sit here and pretend as if, uh, Judaism or Christianity didn't adopt uh, some of those traditions from the surrounding communities and the surrounding uh, traditions is um, probably naive. It is. Well, it know. comes back to that whole, like, did, did all these ideas fall out of the sky on golden tablets kind of a deal? Right. Or is this the evolution of a people group that were real in space and in time mm. and in history that have a, that have a history of their own yeah. that influenced who they are, just like our own personal in- histories influence who we are. Like, I know we all think of ourselves as self-contained units of adulthood or whatever, but when you actually come face to face with something that happened in your childhood, you realize very, very quickly that you have been formed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting because like in researching this, you know, we talk about like, if you go back to our, um, the series that we did on scripture, um, you know, a couple years ago, uh, with Dr. We were just Timothy babies. Mackey, we were just babies, just just starting out. <laughs> when when we were going through Scripture, we talked about a lot about um, the very human impact, the very human influence, the the human fingerprints. I think uh, Dr. Mackey uh, talks a lot about uh, that. You can see uh, evident in the Bible, right? You know, it's not something that fell from the sky. It's it, something that, like, human beings wrote. It and, blows me away that we <laughs> have to actually talk about that. Still, that. That blows my mind. In 2018, that, we still have to talk about that. I am not trying to be condescending. It's just shocking to me. I know. That some people don't think that there is not just a human element, that people yes. wrote this stuff. Like, I've God never breathed, been all, <laughs> God breathed <laughs> all that stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Through humans. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Yes. Move, moving right along. <laughs> I, I am with you. Um, so yeah, so, so you talk, uh, you know, so going back to uh, Old Testament uh, or the Hebrew Bible, you know, we, we, we see, historically we see uh, the God of Israel, right? Yahweh. Um, I like to say that. I like to say Yahweh. Just breathe it out, I lo- you know? I, I love it. Oh, it's good. Um, so, so we look at the God of the Old Testament, right? The God of the, the Israelites, Yahweh. And in the beginning, uh, very early Judaism... You know, they weren't even a fully formed monotheistic religion, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, and, and this is this is you can see this, you can read this. There's proof in Genesis. You know, it talks about like Yahweh uh, being the god over all other gods, and that, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like they didn't think that there were other ideas of God or gods or realities or perspectives or forces or whatever. But yeah, there was like. Okay, but this is a step forward. This is more. Yeah. This is over. This is eminent. This is whatever. You know, 
Right, and, and the big thing was, and this is the reason that the religion caught on like wildfire, is that a lot of the early uh, comparisons were like, this is why our God is different. Our God is not a warrior God. Our God is not a violent God. Our God, you know, uh, created life, created the universe uh, peacefully, you know? So, um, right, right, right. So, yeah, so one of the big things that we talk about is uh, the fact that many different uh authors were involved over the course of hundreds of years. Uh, there were, uh, you know, various translations and, and all these different things that impacted the writing of the Bible, right? So, delicious beers just arrived. This all is very, very important when we're talking about Satan. And, yes. you know, I, I want to be sensitive, too, because there, there are people out there that have had real experiences of evil. Absolutely. That... It needs to be said that we are not this. No, no part of this episode is to poke fun. No, um, to you know minimize or to make light of the idea of Satan. We we are here to almost uh, expand. Absolutely, yeah. And and it and again, like I only know like what I think personally, right? right? And and what my research has shown me. I am by no means an expert in this field, um, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I think there are um, uh, some, some very interesting things we can look at. And so uh, one of the things that uh, I found interesting in, in some, of the, some of the books that I read on the topic is that, so like we know that the, the, uh, the, uh, the Jewish people, the Israelites, like were just constantly invaded and exiled and invaded again. Oh yeah. And uh, with that, with you know, being a people that are that are being invaded and constantly shoved around, uh, you're, you're also inherently influenced by the cultures and the different people who are coming in, right? Like, hundred percent. It's just unavoidable. And so, one of the things uh, that a lot of scholars noticed is that around the time, uh, you know, the end of the Babylonian exile, so the Babylonians had had invaded uh, the Jewish people. Babylonians are defeated by the Persians at some point. And so after uh, the Babylonian exile, uh, the major religion, the, 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 one of the biggest uh, religions and most powerful religions in the world at the time, and one of the uh, oldest monotheistic religions um, on the planet is this religion called Zoro- Zoroastrianism. Z- yeah, Zoroastrianism, which is Persian. Yes, it came out of uh, Iran. And uh, uh, it's this fascinating religion. Um, there, there are a lot of um, really good resources out there. I highly recommend people take a look. Um, you can even Google some stuff online, and there's some good resources out there as well. Um, Nietzsche was really into Zarathustra. Well, really? Well, his book, Thus Spake Zarathustra, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was like, you know, he kind of harkened back to, like, the original. That's their prophet. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, so around the time of this, uh, uh, of this, this vast Persian influence, the Jewish people at the time they're coming into contact with you know Persian traders and merchants and and all that sort of thing, and so they're they're really like connecting with people who are uh, worshiping this this monotheistic deity. Yep. And, and, and you know, of course, they had different names and terminology and, and, and that sort of thing. But one of the interesting things at the time that the Jewish scholars were uh, were wrestling with was this, this idea that uh, God, you know, is this all-powerful 
uh, deity who created the world and God is all good, and yet there there exists evil exists in the world. It's a problem. So how do we reconcile uh, that? It's a problem. So like, I wish Greg Boyd was sitting here right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, God is all good. God, everything that God created is good, and yet evil exists. So they, so so then you know, did God create evil as well? Oh man, I I love thinking about this. I really do. Oh, it's, it's so interesting. I had the best conversation today about this in a completely different way. Really? Well, just as, as, as a quick little, like, you know, anecdote, um, because this is kind of your show tonight, you, you did all the research, but the one thing that, so yeah, God creates everything good. I, I kind of like to see it as like God creates and what God creates is potential. There's potential. Potential is good. And people that are, are, are things that have agency and have volition and have will and have desire can take said potential and they themselves are potential and they make choices with that potential. Yes. And those choices make something new out of that potential. And that potential is always becoming something else. And it's not it's not really about whether it's pure or not. It's what's going on with it. Yeah. Is it tending towards, or is it trending, I should say, towards more and more goodness in life? Or is it trending towards more and more uh, exclusivity, minimalism, self, smallness, yeah. narrowness? And that's more like what you would call like evil. But it all just comes back to potential. Yeah. Anyway, it was just, I talked to somebody about this today. That's, that's fascinating. I, I, I've had a very uh, similar conversation with some of my friends just about the nature of evil. Very similar in the, in the way that I uh, have kind of talked about it is, you know, you, you have free will and, and inherent in that free will is uh, the fact that you are faced with choices every day. Yes. And you can either make Choices that, that benefit those around you, mm-hmm. choices uh, birth or are grown out of love, or the opposite. And there's always a chain reaction um, that stems from choices that you make in either direction. Yeah. And so, like, I, I think about the fact that maybe I was not the nicest human being in college to maybe perhaps a young lady. <laughs> It, but in all seriousness, you know, like something that I may have done. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, but but in all, you know, honestly, like something that I uh, that that I might might have just completely forgot about. Yeah, you know that I thought it was a minor thing. No, we, c- may totally, impact man. totally that young lady for the rest of her life. Yeah, yeah you you never know. And, and and so there's this there's this this uh, no domino one is responsible effect. all the time. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, anyway, but yeah, that's, that, that's a very interesting, uh, um, conversation. So, so that's um, a big part of what we're talking about here. Absolutely. You know, the nature of evil and, and how do we explain it? And, and so like the, the ancient, uh, Jews were like trying to figure out like, how do we reconcile this? Right. And so, uh, at this point in time, you have, uh, this, this, uh, Persian influence, you know, you have Zoroastrianism. Uh, and, and so like, for those of you that don't know anything about Zoroastrianism, this is the, here, here are the cliffs notes. All right. So it's, it's the, uh, uh, oldest monotheistic tradition 
founded in ancient Iran approximately 3,500 years ago, and for the first thousand years was one of the most powerful religions in the entire world. Yep. Which is crazy because now it's it's tiny. Like there's very few people that that actually practice right. it at this point. Right. Uh, but it was at the time the official religion of Persia from 600 BCE to 650 BCE. Um, they believed in. Uh, the concept of one God, and they called him Ahura Mazda, or Wise Lord, and he, uh, they believed that he created the world. Uh, they also believed in a, uh, a Messiah uh, who would come and, and uh, you know, basically reconcile all things at, at you know, sort of the end times uh, kind of scenario. Um, they also believed they're like really into the elements and earth and, and uh, taking care of, of the earth. Uh, let's see. What else? I so, had a buddy that was a Zoroastrian. Really? Yeah. Right after college, we met. He was from Iran. He was wow. His family is practicing Zoroastrians. And he always said, Adam, it's very simple. And you Christians believe this too. Yeah. Good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Yes. That's it. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, his name was Rook. He was a really good guy. That's fantastic. Yeah. That, it's actually funny because I have that written down here. Uh, really? Yeah. So, like, those are the, the, the you three would say things. You all the time. Yeah. So, they believe, so, what Zoroastrianism uh, provided the, the, the ancient Jewish people was this dualistic idea of uh, this, like, yin and yang kind of uh, scenario where, like, there is good, there is God, the creator, and there is this opposite force. Uh, that 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 helps to explain away evil. So it's this very dualist, dualistic um, idea. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is if you look at like the way that they so they believe in a hell as well, uh, and and so there are a lot of like commonalities there that you can see that at the very least had an influence on the development of like Christian thought. You know, eventually, you know what would become eventually Christian thought. Um, yeah, that's funny. Good words, good thoughts, good deeds. Yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. But they, but Zoroastrianism uh, and people that follow that tradition believe that ultimately human beings are good, mm-hmm. and that at the end of the day, good will ultimately triumph over evil. Yeah, sound familiar? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he would always talk about the, um, you know, kind of what more like Christians that would consider themselves raised more like moralistic or legalistically. Yeah. Um, they basically had utter faith in the fact that even though we all do bad things and there's lots of bad in the world, that mostly if you put on the scales at the end of the day, at the end of everything, that which you did for the good and that which you did for the bad, the good would outweigh the bad and that would produce your pathway to heaven or whatever they called it. Yeah. And he would talk about that. It was, he was, it was, it was brilliant. I mean, it was, I loved it. Great exposure. Really interesting, yeah, because it's not, it's not one of the, the, the major religions these days that people typically think about. Right, no, so obviously I found it completely fascinating. Yeah. Like, oh, this is so great! <laughs> like, what? Go on. <laughs> so yeah, so, so Zoroastrianism helps to solve this issue through their dualistic view on the world. Um, they taught that there was God, and then there was this devil or the evil one. Right. Um, who they, The two were in uh, deadly combat with one another, and they, they both had... Uh, um, lesser spirits, yeah. you know, who uh, they would use to form their spiritual armies to, to combat one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that there would be one final battle where God would ultimately defeat the devil, destroying him and his demons in a fiery hell. Amazing. Isn't that weird? Uh, it's so weird. 
sure the two had nothing to do with one another. We're just going to leave that one right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, this hugely impact Jewish people. Yes. And uh, no matter when you think certain books were written, it, it at least impacted redacting, editing, um, tradition around it, and, and uh, what we, we don't just read things, we interpret things. So, you know, the interpretation of a lot of what we take for granted has been influenced by civilizations like Egypt, Babylon, Persia. It's a big deal. I mean, look at the United States We, we right haven't now. even gotten to, to, to the, Greek, the Greeks yet or the oh, Romans. Yeah. yeah, the Hellenistic period yeah. and all the influences. So, yeah, like, that's, a, that's a great transition. Let's go there. So, like, you know, historians are looking at it, and the, there's this clear Canaanite influence as well, right? Like, so there's this ancient Canaanite myth that describes a revolt in heaven, right, that goes like this. So there's this elderly chief god named El. Um, El is this creator god who created the rest of the Canaanite pantheon. He creates this deity named Aftar, uh, who is the most perfect of his creations. He's endowed with great beauty and wisdom. So he's like this genius. Yeah. Interesting, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Aftar loves his high status on El's mountain. So he like walks around on the mountain. He walks with the other deities of the pantheon. And eventually, you know, as is inevitable, he becomes a little too big for his britches. And he's like, you know what? I want to sit on this throne. I'm equally as wise as El. And yeah. just as powerful. Yeah. And so, of course, he decides, I'm taking over, man. Right. I'm taking over this joint. And so he sits on the throne, and he declares open war against L. So L comes in, and it's a beatdown. <laughs> L takes him out, like, real quick. Like, no problem. And, and he, he defeats him easily and exiles him from the Holy Mountain and sentences him to the underworld. So another interesting fact, and this is long preceding Greek mythology, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so like, you, you read things like this, and you're like, oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. Right. And so you start to see these, these are the stories that these communities would have told one another, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, the people at the time would have been very familiar with these other, uh, this, the, this mythology from these other uh, societies and these other cultures. And so another interesting fact uh, is Aftar was also associated with the planet Venus. And so at the time, like Venus, you know, like shows up in the night sky. It's very bright. And we know now, thanks to science and telescopes, that Venus is not a star. Venus is a planet. But at the time, you know, people commonly mistook Venus for a star constantly. Sure. And so one of the things that they were fascinated by was the fact that, like, constellations stay put, right? Venus would, like change where are you locations going, Venus? or disappear altogether. Where are you go? Oh, ta-da! Oh. <laughs> and so, so they were like ancient observers totally fascinated by, by this and they developed myths to explain the disappearance uh, of Venus, including within Canaanite mythology. So the story of Aftar was used to explain its behavior. Thus, we have the falling star. Uh, or fallen angel, right? Falling, yeah. So, so, so. All right. So then, so we have. We're starting to see. Okay. I love this. You just go, boy. <laughs> just, just keep going. This is such good juice. So, like, so one of the other names that I think is hilarious, and we don't really use it much anymore, but we use it in. It's like old, like seventeen, eighteen hundreds, uh, like 
stories and stuff is, is the name Beelzebub, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Great name. Yeah. So where in the world did that crazy name come from, right? That's kind of like uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. Why he picked that <laughs> name? That's not even that man's given name. Come on, man. Why did he pick that as his stage name? I have no idea. Humperdinck. Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. <laughs> Humperdinck, Humperdinck, Humperdinck. If you guys don't know that, that's his princess bride. Shame on you. Shame. Shame. Now, now for, let, me, let me just test myself a little bit. Yeah. So, in the Greek translation, Greek translations of the New Testament. Yes. And then the Latin translations of the Greek translations of the New Testament. Oh, look at you. That's where we ended up with Beelzebub. Yes. But when we go back to the um, Hebrew. Aramaic and Hebrew. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it was that was a one for one that we got there. Man, you're pulling you're pulling out seminary Listen, stuff right there. Look at that. It's in there somewhere, dude. Somebody just needs to trigger it. You guys don't even know. Adam's memory is he, he always he always tells me he has a terrible memory, but I don't believe this for a second. <laughs> I'm just not in control of my memory. That's what I mean by that. It's back there. It's back there, but That's like fair. it's like I have this crotchety <laughs> old dude like in my in my archives that just gets to it whenever he feels like it. <laughs> He's like Mine's mine's like an old hard drive where uh, I have to delete things to make room for new things. And so, like, I have this revolving door of information. No, you know the best metaphor for my brain? In Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, when he goes to the wand store, yes. and Ollivander has all those boxes of wands, and he's this, like, senile old wand maker, <laughs> and he's just, like, blowing dust off of boxes and handing them to Harry. That's what my memory does to me. <laughs> that was the best analogy I have ever heard for someone's memory. <laughs> I'm like, where's he going with this? Ah, uh, yes. There it is. I love it. I okay, love it. so okay, so Beelzebub, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe so, not. So where did this name come from? Yeah. Because it appears in the New Testament where the figure is depicted as the prince or ruler of the demons, right? So it's like lord of the underworld, Beelzebub. So scholars believe that this is a result of a practice of essentially making fun of other gods' names. This is like... This was a common thing back in the day. So, like, to belittle another religion, especially if it was a competi- uh, uh, competing religion, yeah. you would essentially, like... Smack talk. Yeah, you would, you would kind of tweak the name a little bit uh, to essentially, like, make fun of them. Yeah. Like, your god is, like, you know, a weakling kind of thing, you know? My, my last name is Narlock. What do you think people did to me when I was in school? I mean, warlock, <laughs> dipshit... <laughs> Is even a rhyme. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> so, so yeah. So this was like a common practice, right? So, so one of the things that that we can look at is, uh, you know, you have this Canaanite god, right? And this this other religion, this Canaanite god whose whose name was was Baal, right? Yeah. So Baal followed by the epithet Prince or Prince Baal. Yep. So like, the full name would have been Beelzebul. Uh, so. Like, actually, I'm sorry. The full name would have been Beelzebul Ars, or Prince of the Underworld. There you so, go. So you have this Canaanite god who's literally just the Prince of the Underworld. There's no negative connotation there necessarily. He's just Prince of the Underworld. Right. So at some point, the name is translated in Hebrew to Beelzebub. So it's just tweet just a little bit, the ending there, uh, which, which basically changes it to mean Lord of the Flies. So, a little smack talking. A little smack talking, right? So, well, in, in Hebrews were huge for plays on words. Yes. They, were re- they, they did this all the time. Lots and lots of little different plays on words. 
exactly. So, um, so yeah, so, so like you, you, you just simply have like one comp- competing religion kind of play with the name a little bit and it kind of essentially demotes, you know, a, a God who in their universe and their, uh, and their religion is this powerful God. And you've kind of basically taken him and say, no, he's, he's the janitor who cleans our toilets now, yeah. essentially. Yeah. He's our bitch. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things I think would be interesting to talk about a little bit, uh, because you can't talk about the devil without talking about hell, is just to touch briefly, because again, if you go back to our hell episodes, we go into this way more in depth, but like this idea that uh, the devil resides in hell, uh, and yet the translations of, uh, uh, the translation of the word hell, oh yeah, from, its, uh, from the original words, uh, in Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew uh, are actually uh, multiple different words that mean very different things, right? So, like... It's not easy. No. It's not clear. It's not one for one. It's not like, this has always been, everybody has always known what this meant. This is just the way it is. Hell is hell is hell, and everybody knows what's going on there. So you're, you're telling me... Again, just to recap some of the stuff that we've been through over and over again. Yeah. It's not that simple. Right. Uh, so, you, so you look back at the original languages, so the Old Testament, uh, primarily in Hebrew, uh, you, have, you have words like uh, uh, shale. Oh, yeah. And, and or shale. Or just the deep. Yeah. Or the pit. There's no fire there. No. It literally just is... Like the land of the dead. Oh, and I love how even like the psalmist would say, I could go down to Sheol. I could make my bed in Sheol. I could go down to the pit. Yeah. And I can't get away from you. And, and the original meaning of meaning that. Meaning God. Like I can't get away from you, right. God, even when I'm in quote unquote hell. What do you do with that? Right. And, and uh, the other thing to point out is that like there is no division of, of the good versus evil people. No. Everyone went to Sheol. Right. So that, I think that's an interesting thing to point out. Uh, but somewhere along the lines, uh, uh, the f- fire, you know, enters into the equation by somewhere around the first century. Uh, but uh, again, some other words that we, we commonly recognize uh, that are translated to, to the word hell. Gehenna. Yeah. Where you live. Damn I'm just kidding. It. I knew you were going to no, go that's, there. That's Gehenna. Sorry. You uh, know, I try to make theological jokes about that all the time. And they always fail. Always. <laughs> You're like, I live in Gehenna. Bar, Gehenna. Bar, bartender checking my ID. Gehenna? Yeah, not the, not the one you're thinking of from Sunday school, buddy. No? No? no nothing. Like, uh, nope. Didn't no. go to... Ch- okay, you're an atheist. All right. No problem. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, like... Gehenna is a great one, I think. Uh, and and Roar just did a great sermon on this, by the way. Oh. One of his homilies. I love him. So he talks about Gehenna. And, and again, this is, a pl- this is an actual physical place. It was place. a real place. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, still exists. Yeah. <laughs> it was there. So, like, it's this place on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And it, it was a place that they actually used to burn bodies. And so, like, at one point, it was the site of Tophet, or worshipers of the god Molech would sacrifice infant children with fire. That's not a good look. No. No. <laughs> so we can all agree that's, that's bad. Yeah. Right? So like, 
So we see, uh, you know, and, and again, we see later in the Bible, we see the prophet Jeremiah, prophecy against this horrible practice and the people who worship there. But again, not uh, this, like, eternal destination, right? It's this actual physical earthly location. Right. Uh, during the Maccabean period, the site was also used to burn the corpses of their enemies. Yep. So it's just like this horrible place where, you know, fires raged and they, they human beings were, were killed and tortured and burned alive. Right. So many of these terms were, uh, ended up being translated into the word hell by this rush job we commonly refer to as the King James Version. So like, you know, this, the, the King James Version is commissioned and they just kind of took all of these different terms, Gehenna, Sheol, uh, and, and just kind of mass translated them yeah, yeah, yeah. to the word hell. Right. So, like, where does all this uh, symbolism and all the, you know, like, this red devil with the horns and the fire and the eternal burning and torment and all that stuff, where does this all come from? Right. So, like, how, you know, at what point does the devil, you know, continue to evolve? Because we talked about the Old Testament and the fact that it's, it's more of a, uh, an action versus, like, a proper noun. Yes. You brought up earlier... Uh, and I'm glad you did the, the story of Adam and Eve. Yes. Because, like, a lot of us, uh, through Sunday school or wherever, uh, always think of the serpent, you know, the, the tempter, right, as the devil. Right. But what's interesting about that is that nowhere in Scripture does it actually confirm that idea. Well, and, and so here's, and this is why this is a big, a big thing. So let's pause for a second and gather ourselves around, you know, what, what we're talking about right now. So... When you are, if you were raised in any way religious or Christian at all, whether it was kind of a half-assed, we're going to use it for guilt and, uh, and behavior modification to keep you in line as a child, or we're going to full out, like, soak you in this religion. The story of Genesis is so powerful because no matter where you land on that spectrum of Christian participation, no matter where you land on that spectrum, the story of Genesis is kind of teed up as, hey, this book is a supernatural book that tells us about all things. And in the very beginning of this book, there is this devil, there's this snake, there's this thing going on, which makes us then say, well, this must be a very huge part of the world that I live in. This is something big. This is, this, is, uh, this is a part of where we are and who we are and what's going on. And so the snake in that book and what we have henceforth done with that story by reading all this stuff and jamming all of this stuff back into it instead of reading it for what it was when it was written, I think is incredibly problematic. So my thoughts on this, it doesn't ever call the snake, the devil. That was a later attribution, which I'm not even saying that that's wrong. I'm not even saying that there's not like a link to be made there. I think there there absolutely is. But what's really going on there? Let's talk about that. Yeah, so like, so you have this this snake or the serpent or whatever who is is tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what's really interesting is, and this is something that we haven't brought up yet, um, but really comes into play here is you have all of these other writings outside of uh, what is considered, um, you know, the, the, the Bible 
you have the uh, apocryphal writings and the, the Gnostic writings and stuff like that. And so there's a lot more detail that kind of fills in the blanks there in these books that are not an accepted part of the Bible. So like the Apocalypse of Moses, the Book of Enoch, um, yeah. you know, books, books like that, that kind of like, for the most part, like I, I think the, the general consensus is many of these were written long after right. uh, the accepted books of the Bible. Um, the canon was closed. <laughs> yes. No, we are not taking any more submissions, but thank you. <laughs> you missed the deadline. So we have a lot of these other books that, uh, that actually kind of fill in more of the blanks and kind of confirm the fact, oh, the serpent was the devil. But, but you know, like we're looking at a text that potentially was written 400 years or, or more after you know, the initial writings like, uh, you know, the, the book of the books of, you know, the, the different accounts in Genesis and that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Hundreds of years later. Oh, yeah. So, um, so what's interesting is like, if we look at the accepted uh, texts within the Bible, there is nothing there that confirms that the serpent was actually, in fact, some sort of evil entity uh, at all. So what's going on there? This is like proto-psychological stuff, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of, I don't know. Like, I've read some, some different things on it. And, like, for me, it always comes down to the fact that human beings, I think, always um, struggle uh, with, with our own ego, our own sense of... Uh, uh, purpose and place in the world and uh, always desiring more uh, than we need, right? Like, okay. That's also a very American thing, I think, probably. Yeah, I think it's a very human thing and America has just become a place... We're really good at it. ...where we have <laughs> given that st- a steroid shot and a credit card yeah. and no boundaries. Yeah, and so, I, you know, I think if you look at the uh, symbolism... Within the story of Adam and Eve, you know, it's like this idea that like you can eat from the uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you can become like God. You know, it's it's not enough for us to like it's never enough. I think is the the key to that story. It's like it's like we we were free to to roam in this beautiful paradise. Like we didn't have to work. Right. Like everything was provided. I mean, it, it's like I don't know. Like somebody handing you the keys to like the presidential suite in Las like Las Vegas. I mean, where this thing has like a forty-person uh, hot tub and like all the food is free and like you know food and drinks around the house yeah, and like and you much. literally don't have to do anything. And, but then it's like you enjoy that for a little bit and then you're like, but I want more. Even though I you wanna, don't necessarily deserve I'm bored. it, I want to yeah. do something else. Right? Yeah. And so, like, I want to bend the rules. I want to see yeah. what happens. Yes, and, and I think there's also an aspect to it too, where like that's it's kind of the story Dude. of uh, of humanity, right? It's, it's the story of progress, if we're going to be yeah. honest. Well, and it's the story of coming of age. Like, think about it in the context of as as a child, like you're 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 kind of blinded, right, from the uh, the, the the reality of the world, and at some point. Uh, you become aware, in a sense, of your own nakedness, your your own mortality, and and so, in a sense, it's in, in a way, it's almost a story of you know becoming an adult, you know, where where suddenly you know you experience pain on a very real level, 
and you realize that you are a finite human being and that eventually like you you're going to run out of time yeah so i have a thought and this is a very heretical thought not really i mean kind of but like what are we i mean we're the bad boys of christianity we're, we're heretics we're heretics so <laughs> so whatever but so so the part in the part in genesis when the deed has been done right and you know the the man and the woman are you know at odds now with the creator because of the serpent there's a, there's a part of that that you know when when you're taught to read this as you know a kid or whatever you know there's you just kind of like accept it all but there's yeah. a part you know so in Genesis 3 when it's talking about the serpent and you know it kind of tees up this whole story about the fruit and the temptation and let's okay Eve's going to do it and she gives it to Adam and then they they realize they're naked and there's this like awakening and you know all these kinds of weird things start start happening and then you know God calls to them the God character like calls to them like where are you and so the to to get to my point here the weird part about this to me is when he talks to the serpent when God talks to the serpent yeah and you got to remember like if we're going to use any like valid scholarship on this at all yeah we don't believe that this book fell out of heaven right we don't believe that this just showed up like Joseph Smith and the Golden Tablets and the Spectacles. Right. We believe that this had origin. It was around a civilization with civilizations that preceded it. Right. And things like, so, so people wrote this. So I needed to say all that. I know I sound like I'm rambling right now, but I needed to say all that because the point in like uh, Genesis 3 when God talks to the serpent and he says, cursed are you above all livestock. You will crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. You're trying to tell me that people that were reading this back then or talking about it, because I think it was probably oral tradition. Sure, yeah. Didn't already know that snakes crawled? <laughs> so my point in bringing this up is if God says something so obvious to this character in this telling of something happened that happened primordially, primordially, do you think anybody was like, well, yeah, I'm sure snakes used to just like fly <laughs> right? or, you know, or crawl around or, yeah. I mean, what was a snake doing in the tree in the first place? Like, how did it get up the tree? Like, come on guys. Like if we're, if we're really going to pay attention to what's going on here. So, so what's really going on here? It's symbolism. Yeah. It's, it's deep, sophisticated symbolism. And God's not stupid in this character, in this thing. He's like, well, you know what? I'm going to make you uh, crawl on your belly. Yeah. 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 I'm already doing that. Yeah. Well, yeah, he knows that. So what's really going on there? Yeah. This symbol, the snake, this symbol of something else is being enriched with even more symbolism. Absolutely. By saying, okay, now anytime you look at the snake, you look at something that is subverting, something that is beneath you, something that is on the ground, something that is close to the dust, which is what you came from. Because in this telling, 
The dust is what Adam, which means dust, came from. And now the serpent is closer to the dust. And like it's, you're heading back to where you came from. When you look at the serpent and you look at the decisions you made, I want you to remember that there is a way back to death. There is a way back to where you came from. Like there's so much symbolism there and we just get wrapped up around the fact that like, oh yeah, this is the devil and it's a serpent. It's a talking snake. It's a talking snake. Yeah. But my point in bringing all this up is if you read it literally like that, it's just silly. And you miss everything. But when you read it as deeply symbolic things that can speak and then keep speaking, there's so much going on that deals with where we are right now. Like the snake, the devil can still be a powerful teaching wake up call yeah. to what is happening right now in the midst of what we're doing. I think that's a, a, a brilliant point. Like, even if at the end of this, we decide, hey, like, <clears throat> I'm not sure if there's a guy, this, this deity, this evil deity who, who uh, rules over hell, you know, and right. <clears throat> carries a pitchfork, it still can be a very real thing and a very real influence in your life. Right. Um, so that's a great point. So, like, uh, one of the things I want to talk about that I think we, we kind of talked a little bit about during our scripture series is like we can't ignore the very real issues with when you're translating ancient texts into other languages. Right. And the fact that there aren't like-for-like like words. No. And, uh, languages like Hebrew and Greek are very nuanced and complex. And so sometimes there aren't English words uh, there. So like, so like we've talked about the history a little bit. We've talked about the... Uh, uh, the uh, sociological, historical impact of other societies, other cultures. Um, so one of the things I think that we should talk about, like what I call like fun with translations. Yeah. So I like, lo- I love it. He's got this in his notes, folks. It literally is bold face <laughs> underlined fun with translations. Fun with translations. That's who point. you're dealing with right now. <laughs> That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, John Williamson. <laughs> so... <laughs> So during the Hellenistic period in Palestine, there was a major issue. Uh, So their religious texts were all written in Hebrew, but Hebrew was no longer the native language. So what do you do? So, you know, the scribes and religious scholars still knew it and studied it. But the common person, the average person, you know, that for them, the language had begun to die uh, or die out, which, which presented a major problem for Jews who wanted access to these sacred texts. Yeah. So there's only one thing you can do. And so Alexander the Great pushes for uh, translation of these texts into Greek, the language of the people. What a sweetheart. What a sweetheart. What a good move. I mean, he's such a nice guy. So, yes, (laughs) absolutely. (laughs) Google that. So (laughs) I love it when Colin, Colin uh, played him. Colin something or other. Oh, uh, uh, Farrell? Yeah, no. Is it Colin Farrell? Farrell? Yeah, I was thinking Will Farrell. Not Colin a good Farrell. movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. We dyed his hair blonde? It was so bad. It was very bad. Yes. Don't see that movie. Don't watch that. <laughs> watch his other movies, just not that one. Watch The Exorcist. Yes. <laughs> Don't watch Alexander the Great. <laughs> so, so Alexander the Great around the third century, uh, you know, commissioned this translation, which inherently created some issues, uh, one of which was how to translate the word Satan or the Satan. Right? Really? So they chose to translate 
uh, Satan into the Greek word diabolos, which should sound familiar. Uh, and the word diabolos has a much more restricted uh, semantic range than the original term. So we go from one who accuses or opposes to the Greek word diabole, which means specifically a false accusation or slander, and the related substantive version diabolos, which means false accuser or slanderer. And, and not only that, think of the word dia, like diagonal, diabolical. It literally means to divide. Yeah. To separate. The question is to separate what? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Everything. Correct. To pull apart, to separate. Uh, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's, a huge, that's a huge change, right? Like, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so, like, here's, again, here's our very human fingerprints. We have Greek translators who had to make an interpretive decision, thus adding a negative connotation to the original word. So Hebrew Satan to the Greek diabolos to the English the devil. See, like, Hebrew Satan... Greek Diablos to the English devil. So we've gone through three languages now. So that's how we got from Satan to devil. So more fun facts. This is not easy, folks. No. The Christian scholar who you guys may have heard of, Jerome, uh, who's the guy who's primarily responsible for the Latin translation of the Hebrew Bible. St. Jerome. uh, In the fourth century, he chose to retain the Hebrew term Satan or Satan. Did he translate the Vulgate? Was that him? I think think so? I think, I think so. I think you're correct. So he had to translate uh, the Bible into Latin, right? Yeah, so, that's the Vulgate. That's yeah, it. That's yeah, it. there you go. Yeah, boom. Um, so, so, as, uh, so as he's translating the Bible, he decided to retain the Hebrew term uh, Satan or Satan as if it were a proper name. Right. So as opposed to the Satan, it right. becomes Satan. It's just Satan. Capital hey, S. Hey, Satan. <laughs> So, like, you look at certain uh, Bible passages, Job 1, um, you know, and certain other uh, passages within the Old Testament where you have, now you have Satan. Uh, and yet in other passage, passages, he chose to translate the word into the Latin words, adversar or adversarium, meaning adversary. So there we get the, the, uh, um, the term adversary. So we, we hear that a lot, obviously, in... in American Christianity, because that's where we're located, but we hear the term adversary is another kind Your of Your adversary, the devil. The devil. Prowls around like a roaring lion, <laughs> seeking someone to devour. Exactly. So it's like, we laugh, obviously, but we're like, oh my gosh, here's yeah. another instance where we're like, okay, okay. Yeah. This makes sense. There's a lot going on here. So, um, so like... All right, so how do, so how did, because so, there's this whole backstory, right? Like, so like we talked to, if you go back to our catalog from what is, what was, did we do the Exorcist last year? Yes. Okay, so Father Gary Thomas, so we, we, we asked I'm him. I'm still, I'm still scared. I'm very spooked. By the, <laughs> it's a very, very frightening episode we did. Um, but we asked him, we're like, okay, so like we have this, this God who's good. Yeah. It's and like, so like, how, how do we, What's the backstory here? Yeah, Gary. What's the, what's Gary, the story? Help us out, Gary. <laughs> and and so uh, what I'm about to tell you kind of like, you know, falls in line with what, you know, like what he recounted to us 
in our interview, which is that uh, you know we have this this creation story. So like, so if we look at creation stories, we see many references, obviously, to angels. There's angels all throughout the Bible, right? Plenty of angels. But it is uh, we see that all of God's creation, you know, throughout the the days of creation, you know, all of it was good, right? Quote good, 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 very good. So it doesn't make any sense uh, to have the creation of an evil being as part of the initial creation story. So like, no. So how do we work our way around? What that? do we do with that? So Jewish scholars use the obscure passage in Genesis. You are going with this? Yeah. It talks about these giant people. The Nephilim. Yes. So as the Which story in goes, Darren Aronofsky's Noah movie were giant rock creatures. I never saw that. It's awesome. Perhaps I need to go back and watch this. It's so good. <laughs> they took some liberties, but they got so much right. Really? Yeah. I mean, they definitely took some liberties, but there were some things like the way the oral traditions passed on. Yeah. I could, this is not a time for a tangent. Right. Please continue. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Uh, so, so uh, Jewish scholars use this obscure passage in Genesis talking about uh, these, these giant people, right? These divine beings, these sons of God. So... So as the story goes, right, so we have these divine beings, sons of God. They see these beautiful earth women. How could they not? We have, we have beautiful women on earth. Cue the music. So they get, see these get, beautiful get earth the women. Marvin Gaye rocking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they take them as wives, and their offspring are called the Nephilim or Nephilim or however you want to pronounce it. These kind of like half-breed, yeah. uh, you know, like, but so again, like, face value this is a Sounds very like Lord of the Rings weird story yeah <laughs> but then like the easiest way to look at this is look at the other cultures like during the same time period yeah, where did these ideas come from so yeah where did these ideas come from so originally these seemingly strange references would have been discussing the concept of demigods right right so like just like Hercules in the Greek tradition or Gilgamesh in Sumerian lore or my favorite Maui from Moana I mean come He's on a demigod you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Moana is fantastic. You should see it if you have kids. Favorite Disney know. movie of all time. The Rock is amazing. Amazing. Go watch it. And the Moana character is the best female character in all of Disney Princess. Yeah, come on, man. She doesn't need a boyfriend. She every is other, badass. Every I other want Disney... my daughter to yes. be Moana. Every other Disney movie up until that point, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, like the female lead... Like, there's always some romantic interest. In this one, she's like, I don't need a boyfriend. They, they took a step forward with Frozen. Yes. Where they kind of deconstructed the whole thing, so they kind of made fun of the fact that she needed a, a man. Right. And, like, it ended up being, like, she just needed, like, her sister and, like, the love between her and her sister. Right. Moana's they took like, a giant step forward with nah. Moana. They were just like, just forget all that. Let's just <laughs> yeah. tell a great story. Let's just be a rad girl. Yeah, rad. And, like, okay. that's... Please continue. Yes. So, <laughs> so... So, like, not uncommon at all within, you know, the different uh, mythologies from, you know, these different uh, societies, you know, like this idea of the demigod. So, taken in, con- in, in that context, like the story of the Nephilim or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call them, like, not so weird, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, if we look at that, uh, and then, and then we, we kind of fast forward a little bit, it appears, though, at, at some point in the story... Uh, this is used to explain the original story of evil in the sense that it became the story of demons as fallen angels. Uh, kind of 
mirroring the fall, right? So the fall of the angels would have kind of paralleled the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So like, so at some point they kind of took like this mythological demigod uh, story about demigods uh, and and made it uh, like all about like these lustful angels who came to earth and like forgot their mission and like were lusting after these beautiful earth women, which I get, I get it. Hey, but they kind of flip the story a little bit. Yeah. And so like, so now we have these, these quote fallen angels, right. Uh, who are being punished. So, and again, we see more support for this origin story again in, in, in these additional writings outside of the accepted uh, canon uh, like the book of Enoch and the book of Watchers or Jubilees. Uh, so in these texts, things get super duper weird. Super weird. Real weird. It's a fun read. It's a fun read. You Do guys it. should should check, you know, like there, <laughs> you can get most of these online. Um, we should make like beach copies, like, <laughs> yes, like thick paperback, like small thick paperbacks of like, all the books you weren't allowed to read from the Bible <laughs> yes. for your next beach vacation. And, and I'm telling you, because I know we've had a lot of people, and we should do an episode on one day on the, uh, the Apocrypha. You know, oh, it'd be so fun. The Gnostic Gospels. Um, there's a good reason most of those were not included. Because they're wacky. Because they're crazy. They're super nuts. <laughs> so next time you're at a, a party, like if you're in college and you're listening to this, <laughs> and you're at a kegger, and you tell somebody like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, have you read the Gnostic Gospels? Please, go read them before that happens because yes. you'll be like have you <laughs> yeah they're insane like not saying there's yeah. not a lot you know you can take away from it you know there's always something you can take away from it but like when people are like well you know they were really choosy about what books they put in i'm like yeah and i'm freaking glad they were <laughs> yeah yeah because like i mean given there's some there's like uh, uh what is it the uh the gospel of uh thomas yeah which is the most tame of all of them yes and then you get into some that are just like, wait, what? Yeah. You know, so like, so anyway, that, that's, your, that's your homework. Go out and read those. Uh, so like, so, so anyway, yeah. So like all these other crazy books uh, that kind of feed into this kind of mythology that's developed, right? And so obviously we don't have time to get into all of that, but it's very interesting to see how some of the now famous features of hell, like things that we commonly associate with the idea of hell. Yeah. Um, like really kind of show up in books like, you know, or texts like the book of Judith. So for example, in the book of Judith, hell is described as this place with uh, fire and weeping and worms, things that don't necessarily show up in the, you know, the accepted scripture. And so like, you know, we start to see where like some of this influence comes from. So, like, it comes from somewhere, John. It comes from somewhere. And it didn't fall out of the sky. It did not fall out of the sky. Um, and I'm really pumped because after this episode comes out, uh, we'll give you a little sneak preview. We're getting into, uh, we're going to revisit our scripture Yes, we are. With a uh, triumphant return of a special guest that we had on two years ago. And we get a redo. One of our very first guests. We get a redo. Because we sucked at interviewing we back then. We were terrible at we that. We were so bad at everything. We get a redo. Adam Gasm's out the yin-yang. <laughs> it's going to be great this time, though. I promise. So anyway, so let's talk about Satan within Christianity, specifically. So we're, we're talking about, you know, the, uh, the evolution uh, of Satan, the devil, and all that stuff through Judaism. 
So within Christianity, we got to keep in mind that Jesus was born into a Hellenistic, Hellenistic society. Yep. This is important because a lot of the accounts of his life and work reflect many of the customs and beliefs of Hellenistic Jews at that time. Totally. The Gospels and the Apostles' letters reflect Hellenistic culture. Absolutely. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, we, we, we have to do the work, though. We come have on, to do guys. the research. Come, like, come, on. come on, guys. So, like, without going to every single reference to Satan or the devil within the New Testament, in reading each account, they, for the most part, have precedence in either the Old Testament or in earlier Jewish literature. Sure. So Satan, like the Satan in the story of Balaam and his donkey, seeks to block or stop Christians from going on their journeys. Yep. So you can see this type of reference by Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians where he talks about his, his desire to travel to Thessalonica to visit the churches or the church he planted there. Yeah. But he was unable to uh, because, again, Satan blocked him and his companions from making the journey. So you see references there. And he also plays the role of the deceiver and tempter in the New Testament, which is kind of a different role, right? So, like, this goes back to our prior discussion on the issues with the translation. So, by this point, though, like, the, the, the dualism here is, is fairly evident, right? Like, you have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, clearly delineated good versus evil, even more prevalent within the Gnostic texts, because, again, like, they take it way further. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, everyone's favorite book when it comes to talking about Satan and hell and all sorts of crazy stuff, what's the craziest book in the Bible? I mean, Revelation. Exactly. Bar none. That is some good, juicy stuff. Dude, so have you ever heard the anecdote about John Calvin and Revelation? So John Calvin wrote a commentary on, I think, almost every book of the Bible. He might have missed one or two, but he he missed Revelation. And the story goes, when asked... And I'm going to paraphrase now. Yes. Because um, he was like in Geneva and he, he didn't talk like me. I'm like an Avenger bro. <laughs> Name drop, George Benson. George Benson. <laughs> you sweet man. Not really. But I'm like that. So when John Calvin was asked why he never wrote a commentary on Revelation, his answer was, I don't get it. Dude, that was that that was the case for a lot. Of oh yeah, Luther was like, yeah, I, I kind of want to throw it in the river. Yeah, I don't think it's legit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's it, but like it's a good thing to talk about because it's the one piece of apocalyptic literature uh, that exists in the New Testament. Like, there's some examples in the Old Testament, but it's the one. There was like the there was like excerpts in the Old Testament, right? I mean, Not this is like a full blown acid trip, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, let's talk about some stuff. All right. Uh, we got dragons eating babies and prostitutes <laughs> yeah. and all kinds of lakes of fire and Ugh. golden we're, cities that look like a cube Babylon and again. like burning Babylon. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is. Netflix has got to get their hands on that, man. Very interesting. Uh, and, and by the way, like, if you want a really good breakdown of the book of Revelation and in, in a way that, like, breaks it down... Uh, in the sense that it is this this warning against empire and this this beautiful poetry. Yeah. Um, one of the books I highly recommend is uh, by a guy named uh, Marcus Borg. Oh, he wrote a book yes. Called Reading the Bible again for the yep. first time. Yep. He, uh, I think it's the last chapter in that book. It's so good. It's unbelievable. The scholarship is is solid. Ugh. And um, guys that you know and love probably are drawing on it. Guys like Brian Zahn, Rob oh, Bell. Oh, sure. 
I mean, Borg really did a good job with that. And just died way too early. Gosh darn it, Marcus. <laughs> no, you couldn't stick around just a little bit longer. I mean, imagine having him and N.T. write on in the same episode. Come on. I mean, they wrote books together. I know. That would have been, ugh. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> It'll make me sad. Celebrity death match. Ugh. So, so, so there is another book authored after uh, <laughs> the book of Revelation. Uh, and again, not one that is accepted in the canon called The Apocalypse of Peter. Yeah. That goes further into the nature of hell. It is some fun light reading, let me tell you. Wee! <laughs> Lone sharks are thrown into a vat of excrement up to their knees, and disobedient children hang uh, beside flesh-eating birds. There's some fun stuff in there, guys. Hey, yo. <laughs> so it's this text that really brings home the idea of Satan and, Satan and his demons uh, being uh, tormentors. So, <laughs> sorry, I'm just reading my notes, and I just wrote, Lucifer is my favorite metal band. So, there you I go. don't know what I meant by that, but I just know it was meant to make me laugh later. <laughs> so, good job, me. So, uh, so, all right, so the early Christian theologian Origen, so I know we've talked about him before. Uh, Who's kind of in and out of style. Yeah, so... People are skeptical of old Origen. And, and probably rightfully so, to, in, in, some, in some ways. Um, so he took and transformed ideas from the book of The Watchers, which is another book that's outside the accepted canon. So we talked earlier about the origin of Satan as having been uh, a result of the Nephilim and, and, and fallen angels and the story of Genesis. So old origin went a different way. So origin goes to the book of Job and, jo- and, and takes Jerome's Latin translation of the Bible. And he takes Jerome's term Morningstar, or Lucifer, and identified it as Satan. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no longer are these references to Canaanite myths, but descriptions of the actual person, Satan himself. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh-oh. So Origin's origin story, <laughs> if you will, goes like this. So, so basically Origin came up with this, this backstory where uh, his version goes like, so Satan was created along with the angels long before the creation of the physical universe, so before the, the creation story. All right, so this counteracts the previous Jewish traditions that states that the creation of the angels is on day number two. So Satan and his demons are originally angels who rebel against God. Right? So in this version, it's not the lust of these angels for human women, but rather the sin of pride. So again, this harkens back to the, the story of El, right, and his creation, Aftar. So again, we have like slightly different. It's all coming together, right? So, so again, um, just just some more information, some more influence there in terms of uh, how we view currently, current day, uh, the devil or Satan and that sort of thing. So, so how do we get to the fact that we've got this red guy? Because, like, let's be honest, it's Halloween time. You know, there's you can you can buy a devil costume at that Halloween spirit store, right? And it's. It's always like red tights. There's some horns. Um, maybe he has a goatee. He has like the pitchfork. Um, I don't know. Hooves. Yeah. Hooves, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's always hooves. So I, how did how did we get there? How do we determine what the devil looks like? So one of the main things we need to look at that we haven't talked about yet is art. Art. The the influence and the impact of art. Hundred percent. Right? So like the Middle Ages. For you guys out there who are not history nerds. Both literature and painting. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have the Middle Ages, 
And, and during this period is where we see the development of the horns, the cloven hooves, a tail, a goatee, the pitchfork. I mean, you know, we're saying really got his superhero costume, right? You know, I think it's important to remember, too, um, and we've said this multiple times on the podcast if you've been following us, literacy has really never been a thing that's common and taken for granted until like the last two, three hundred years for, for everyone. Like, just let that sit on you for a second and remember how basically vulnerable, impressionable, and easy to steer people were if the empire were to gain some employed artists to render certain things that they needed rendered. Essentially, you couldn't just, well, just go read it for yourself. Yeah, Yeah. not going to happen. Not going to happen. You needed pictures. Right. Pictures communicated far more. Go back and listen to our episode with John Dominic Crossan on the resurrection and the importance of art to communicate the hope of the resurrection and what that actually meant. Mm. Thank you. This is a big deal. Images shape thoughts. John, back to you. <laughs> yes. So, like, so again, like, we have, we have art and we have uh, other societies who are influencing. And so one of the things that is kind of interesting to take a look at is, is um, inspiration from ancient Greek mythology, specifically Hermes, the god who leads the dead to the underworld. And Hermes uh, uh, had this son named Pan, right? So like Pan and Hermes both are represented by phallic symbols. <laughs> um, the I, devil in medieval, medieval literature was it. the king of sexual temptation. Well, so there you go. It's the downfall of many. But here's where it gets really interesting. Like, if you look at, and people should, like, Google Pan. Um, Pan is shown with horns, cloven hooves, a tail, and a goatee. In fact, like, in some depictions, yeah, totally. it's really hard to tell the two apart. No, you can't. And so, like... I remember thinking that as a kid. I was like, hold on. Wait a minute here. Who's this guy? Yeah. So, like, and sometimes, like, the only time you can tell them apart is because Pan is usually seen depicted with, like, a set of, like, um, musical pipes. Right. Uh... What do they call that? A pan flute? Yeah. Like Sam Fear, the master of the pan flute? Boom. Whoa. That's a reference right there. She's children of the you 80s. You pulled that right out. I did. I did. You're welcome, children of the 80s. Uh, so, like, he's, he's holding this, this, uh, these musical pipes, and, of course, the devil has his pitchfork. So, it's interesting that the devil would be seen with, you know, uh, like, potentially, we could say Poseidon's trident. Right? Power. That he uses to torture his victims in hell. Yep. So, like, the other interesting thing... There's a lot going on here. Yeah. It's a montage. It's a mashup. Well, and and let's let's not uh, downplay the the importance and the influence and the impact of different authors uh, throughout history as well. So, like, Dante's Inferno. Right. And Milton's uh, Paradise Lost. Absolutely. Had massive impacts. On how we see Satan William or Lucifer. Blake. Yeah. So, so uh, let's, we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, I, I have a few thoughts to wrap up as well. Yeah, so like, so, so what, what, after all this, we, just, we just, just spewed out a ton of information, a ton of history. So like, so kind of my feeling is this, uh, and, and then I would love to get your feeling like having me just 
like regurgitate all this information at you. Because um, Adam's hearing a lot of this for the first time out of my mouth as well. I'm so. loving this. I feel like I'm back in seminary. <laughs> so, Professor Williamson. So, oh God, someday. So, so what? What are you know, my personal thoughts? I guess after kind of consuming all this information, sitting out for the last several months, uh, is that we see very real, very human fingerprints throughout all the texts, and that history, um, as it does with anything shapes and influences things much like, you know, geography, right? Like um, a rock uh, sitting in a river, over time, the river smooths the rough edges of the rock. It changes the, uh, the, the, the surface, the nature of, of that rock. Like, I think yeah. history has uh, much the same effect. And, and, you know, all these influences from these uh, other religions and these other societies and, and uh, mythology that would have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, also, I think, obviously, like, there is a huge impact when you're translating something from one very nuanced, complex language into another, and, yeah. and, and yet into another and another. And so, like, you have that complication. You add that uh, to, to the equation as well. And then you have Again, like I said, the influence of other religions. You have um, you have some additional writings uh, that came later uh, that people picked up on, um, and and you know uh, later literature and later tr- uh, translations and interpretations and art uh, and, and things of that nature that kind of all influenced. And it and it's it like creates, a mosaic. Yeah. So I, I think art and other literature further develops the story, and I think um, potentially you end up with something that is very different from um, the original intended um, idea of, of Satan or Satan and that sort of thing. And, and that's not to say that evil doesn't exist in the world and that we still don't wrestle with this idea that like, if God is good and God is pure love, how can evil exist? Um, but again, I think to kind of go back to what you and I were talking about earlier, I think that we can create all the hell that we want here on earth. Uh, and I think we can, we can uh, summon the devil anytime we want uh, through our actions and through our uh, priorities and, and through the things that we do and, and even the things we don't do. Like now is like a prime time to talk about like evil in the world. I feel like, especially in the United States, like the things that we don't do, like when we don't, uh, take care of the poor, and we don't care for um, folks who are uh, from other countries who are in war-torn countries or are trying to survive uh, the, the crossfire from uh, drug wars, who are trying to seek a better a life or just a chance to survive or protect their kids. When we do nothing and we turn a blind eye, that to me is evil. That to me is just as evil as you know, going out and, and pulling the trigger yourself. That's, I'm done. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> Dude, I have, I have so much to say about this, but I just want to like, almost, instead of like just making a bunch of comments, I kind of want to just open a few things up. So, one of the things that we've gone over and over again in this show is that words, ideas, are containers of information 
they themselves are not always information. They are containers of information. They carry meaning. And so when we're, we're talking about the idea of the devil, here's where it gets really, really tricky. You instantly have two groups of people, one who want to understand a simplified concept of it in order to, to just enforce it as, you know, a blanket theological statement and use it to create an understanding of reality that helps them with the narrative that they're trying to get across. And the other group of people that want to just kind of throw it out because we're modern and we're science and, you know, it's just stupid now and all that kind of stuff. I want to pose kind of like a third way. Instead of just like capitulating to that which you've heard all, all the time in the past and saying like, well, I don't believe in the devil because, you know, so many problems and, you know, I don't believe in like this being that just like is dancing around or like sitting on my shoulder, like trying to get me to make decisions. But, but hang on a second. So here's, here's what I think this all comes down to. All the stuff that you said, John, all the wonderful research that you, seriously, wonderful research that you've come, here's the big takeaway for me. Across all cultures and across almost all religions and across almost all times and the amalgamation of all of those things, here we still are as human beings wrestling with the importance of the idea of evil and that which is potentially capable in you and in me and in the people that we are sitting around and in this place, this reality that we can't freaking understand, we know and we are horrified and terrified and afraid of that which might happen. Yeah. And we know it might happen. And we need to give it names and we need to give it words because I don't care if it's a person or not. Honestly, I don't even know what that means. Maybe it is. Maybe that's, maybe calling it a person is alluding to a reality that I can't see or understand. I'm going to let that be a mystery. I don't even know. Don't care. Not, not an argument I'm willing to have. Here's what I do know. If I want to look at the devil, all I need to do is look at me at my worst when I am full of my own ego when I'm sleep deprived, when I'm hungry, yeah. when I am sick, when, when things are just wreaking havoc psychologically on me and I want what I want, I need to do no more than look in the mirror and look myself in the eyes and say, there's something more going on here. The one part of scripture that we didn't cover tonight that has always been kind of haunting to me is in the early parts of a couple of the gospels when Jesus gets tempted in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the recent film that came out with Ewan McGregor mm, mm-hmm. kind of shows Jesus as this person wrestling psychologically with the weight of suffering and evil and choices and potential and, and all these kinds of things. And Ewan McGregor plays Satan and Jesus. And I think that that was brilliant because is, is Satan a person? Well, let me make an argument for Satan being a person. Let me go ahead and make an argument for Satan being a person. You're a person. Have you met, have you met the worst version of yourself? Do you know what you're capable of? Do you know what you really want in the darkness of your heart? Do you know what you're willing to do to your fellow man to get that? Do you know that the choices that you are willing to make, do you understand the horror that lives 
just beneath the surface, if all the stars line up correctly and those things are offered to you in that moment, do you know what you're going to do when those things happen? Because that's what the whole temptation in the wilderness is all about to me. Hungry, sleep deprived, away from everything, and the pit the darkness inside of the heart of the human one, the representative of all humanity, comes out. And here we see the devil in clear form. And it is everything that you could be at your worst. Aligning with all the powers of destruction and selfishness and ego. Yeah. And so here's why I think all of this is really important. And it doesn't matter to me what the language we use, what the name we used, how we care... Like, the important thing to me about all your research is that over space and time and history and culture, people are all recognizing the same thing and that evil is real. And whether it's personal or not, it interacts with personality. And we need to wake up to it in whatever way, shape or form that is. Let's not cartoonize it and throw it out the window and say like, stupid we're modern now and let's not characterize it and cartoon it just to get people to say the sinner's prayer and behavior modify just to get some religious reaction that you're looking for it's bigger than both of those things and i think it's a really freaking big deal so happy halloween everybody yeah let's end on a downer like that Well, uh, thank you to everyone who has been listening. This is like a little nice bonus episode we were able to do. I'm glad we were able to pull this off. Uh, Thank you to, where are we? 101 Beer Kitchen. 101 Beer Kitchen in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you to our our server, Cameron. Cameron. uh, Who's been the man all night. He's a good man. He he comes up and he whispers and asks us if we'd like another beer. Uh, And he brought me chicken wings. Uh, but thank you to everybody who has been listening. Uh, happy Halloween. Um, check us out at www.thedeconstructionist.com. You can follow us on social media. You can uh, join our Patreon family if you're interested. Uh, we have some cool packages there. Uh, the, the big popular one right now is the book club where we, we pick books, and every month we mail them out to you. Um, and uh, um, So thank you guys for those of you who have joined within the last couple months. Uh, who continue to support us there. It means a great deal to us. Uh, and uh, follow, us, follow us on uh, Spotify. We have a Spotify playlist. So every episode that we do where we have uh, a new original artist and musician uh, who are all trying to make a living as well, uh, we add a song to the playlist by the artist uh, who was featured on that week's episode. Uh, so go out and check out their music, support them, follow them on social media, buy their music, uh, and support them. And uh, we'll be back in November with a brand new series on scripture. We're really excited. We haven't revisited this in a couple of years. So we're super excited to, uh, to get, get back into that again. Uh, we have a new guest uh, who wasn't with us the first time around. We have a revisiting guest who we get to redo. <laughs> and, uh, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And, and we've got some really great guests lined up for the end of the year to really finish off 2018 in a, in a really nice way. So thank you guys so much for continuing to follow us. And uh, with that, uh, we've been your uh, your hosts. And hopefully if you guys like this, we'll do this again. But we are your hosts. I am John Williamson. And I am Adam Narlock. Happy Halloween, everybody.
keep deconstructing. Satan is real. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.